Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of The Engine Room and today we have ourselves Pablo once again. ¿Cómo estás bro? Cuéntame. Hello everyone. Hello Luis. I'm all good. I'm all good. Obviously lots more to talk about. The Euro Rhino 16 games that we spoke about are over. We've got more Copper America to talk about now today with those knockout games coming up. And I'm excited. I'm hoping that the viewers are excited too. Uh, obviously, as I said uh, at the start of last episode, make sure you guys are checking out the podcast on all of the uh, all of the available platforms. Of course, it's now on Spotify and Google Podcasts, uh, and it's also on more podcast platforms. So, if it's on a, a podcast platform you have, you know, then then rate it, review it, please, if it's possible. And also, guys, make sure you follow us on Twitter. We are posting some some things on Twitter. We will also do announcements there, so that's going to be key to keep up with our stuff. And in the future, we are going to be launching, of course, a YouTube channel and an Instagram. Yes, so indeed, we are very excited for what's to come. And today we bring you an episode where we are going to be discussing La Copa America knockouts. But since La Copa America works a little bit different because we are, well, less countries than in in Europe, um, it's only four matches and they start from the quarterfinals. So what we're going to be doing instead is that we're going to be doing kind of half of the episode based on that. And then the other half, we want to talk about the round of 16 that just happened in the Euros because they were absolutely crazy. And I just think that they need some, we need we need to discuss them basically. So is there anything else that we need to mention, Pablo? I, I don't think so, right? No, no. Let, let's crack straight in with it. So just like always, we're going to start off the episode with our Twisted Takes. And I'm going to start right away by telling you and Pablo that I believe that the Netherlands getting beaten by the Czech Republic is a bigger upset than France versus Switzerland. Because when I just take a look at that side of the bracket, I think that Netherlands have missed probably one of the biggest open opportunities ever, like probably in their history, like as a nation. Because that side of the bracket now, with England beating Germany, probably England are going to reach the final. And if they don't, it's going to be a huge simulation. And I also wanted to point it out because I said last episode that I believe the Netherlands were going to go all the way. And now I look pretty, pretty silly. So, yeah, Paolo, <laughs> what do you think about that? Well, yeah, yeah. Like you mentioned, I'm I'm surprised by it in the way that obviously France are the World Cup holder. So that is almost, you know, a big upset. But also the fact that, you know, you said you thought Netherlands could actually go on to win the whole Euros. Uh, the fact that they've been beaten there by Czech Republic, that also was a big upset. I think I think both games were very surprising. Actually, what we'll probably see later is our predictions, certainly my predictions. I think I got almost, you know, almost all of them wrong. So that kind of says it all about the, the round of 16. But yeah, that's interesting, interesting uh, hot, uh, twist to take from you there, really. I, I was expecting it in a way because, you know, you were obviously a, a fan of what Netherlands were doing. They weren't good enough against Czech Republic, but I think also France, you know, the way they the way they collapsed there against Switzerland and then lost on penalties with Mbappe, you know, that was obviously also a big moment. Yeah, so why don't we talk about them now? Because instead of just like kind of rambling over in the next section. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that like Netherlands, their main problem was like, I, I think their tools weren't utilized in the right positions. It's like trying to fit like a, a square picked how do you call it? In, you have that saying in, in yeah, in, in yeah, England. trying to yeah, trying to fit a peg in a square peg in a hole or something. Yeah, in a circle. I have no idea how to say it. Like yeah, I know. But but I, I you know what I mean. Trying to trying to use pieces where they're not supposed to be, and that's exactly what I think the board was doing with this with this five at the back that didn't really work, and it's demonstrated now by him being sacked completely almost after his, uh, well, humiliating defeat against the Czech Republic. It's been like two days since then, 
and he has been sacked from the job because apparently the contract aims were not met. So certainly something went wrong there. Um, I think that many players, like at the end of the day, the board did select them good enough. Like let's say Malen, we've mentioned the buy. I think that was a good front two. I think that was going to give them potentially an edge over a team like the Czech Republic. But I think it was a little bit too late. That is something that he didn't really test it before. And we didn't have time in this. Um, you have such small time in the international international games that you need to kind of prepare for every single scenario. And the board was just thinking about this formation from the from the get-go. And it was a formation that he just played against Gibraltar for the very first game, uh, for the very first time. He just tried it once and then... From the onwards, the last two games before the Euros, he decided, you know what, I want to stick with it. I don't think that is planning. I don't think that is what a manager should be doing at these stages when you're approaching a competition like this. And certainly they failed as a result. And can we mention the league? What the hell are you doing, kid? Like, what was that? I, I, I know it was a handball. Of course it was. But... I think he did it deliberately. <laughs> like, you could see that he moved his hand just for the sake of trying, like, oh, I'm going to try to simulate so it doesn't go through or something like that. But it was it was bad, dude. It was bad. And then afterwards, they lost the game. I'm not going to say because of him, but his red card was probably a 60% kind of already shifting the tides towards the Czech Republic that were a very solid team. And I don't know. I don't think the very same thing happened with France. So maybe you can explain that. Yeah, I I was I was really unimpressed with Netherlands. Uh, I think I think they were actually they were fun to watch in the group stages. What I'd say I'm not sure about their tactical setup in general, but you know they played attacking football, they played fast football, they had good chance creation, they were getting the ball to Depay. Uh, they had a lot of uh, runners from deep. Dumfries was one of them. But when they came up against Czech Republic, who were well drilled, uh, they they kept their their shape well. I don't know. Netherlands offered so little that I think I think the red card for Delict was massive. I do still get the feeling Netherlands could have you know snatched a one 0 win had it been eleven versus eleven. Even then, it wouldn't have been a convincing win, but it still would have been a win, which is what you need in the round of sixteen. You know, no one cares how you get there, um, but you know they weren't good enough. And I think it's always a good way to tell how well the team is is ta tactically set up by seeing how they do when they go down to ten men. And after Netherlands went down to ten men, they literally didn't even compete in the game. They didn't even get in the, the Czech Republic box. So. They completely capitulated. Uh, De Boer's been been sacked, and yeah, I, I was unimpressed. Touching on France, um, look, I, th I thought France looked a bit of a mess. They went to the back five as well, brought Longley in. That clearly didn't work. Uh, they made a big comeback in the second half, and all of a sudden it looked like, oh, here, here are the world champions. Look at all these amazing players. But again, their defence let them down. They brought Sissoko on there for Griezmann just before uh, the 90th minute. That was a big risk for Ide Champs. That did not pay off. Um, and at the end, France, you know, completely capitulated, did very little in, in extra time too against the Swiss and the holders of the World Cup out in the uh, round of 16 of the Euros. So one of many big upsets, to be honest. Yeah, I think that um, I don't I think I think the manager of Switzerland is called Petkovic. I'm almost 100 percent like on point. Yeah, Petkovic. I think Petkovic, what he did was kind of he it's kind of like a. Um, they're the opposite side of the coin. I think the Shams got everything tactical, every single tactical decision wrong, while Petkovic did it right. Because by slotting and going all out, saying, losing 3-1, putting two more strikers in the last few minutes, saying, you know what, we are losing. I'm just going to go all out attack. I'm going to see what we can create, what can happen. I want to score a goal here. It doesn't matter if we lose 6-1, we're still losing. So let's go ahead and try to get and clinch this win. And they did, they didn't win, but they equalized. 
And the champs, I thought that he was already thinking about the next game and underestimated a lot what Switzerland could offer in the last few minutes. You already mentioned that he took out Anton Griezmann for Sissoko, and that was certainly really, really bad. I think Griezmann gives you a lot from a lot, a lot of kind of he pressures very well from the from the highest of lines there in the in in the front line, and that is something that is always going to give you a lot of solidity. If you wanted to do that, I think the change was either Benzema or Mbappe. And they didn't even get me started on Mbappe. Mbappe has probably won his worst ever, like, kind of performances back-to-back. He was invisible in the group stages, and he was the very same right now in the in the, in the knockout stages. And that penalty, you could just tell that he was going to miss it because he was his confidence was all over the ground, really. And it was just kind of not even strong enough. It was kind of like midway through the through the goal it wasn't really that high up it wasn't really put down in the bottom corner it was just that center to the left not really that strong and Sommer actually saved it and yeah France are out but I thought France did good enough like to get back into the game that's good but then the champs and I think that is where they got it wrong I think the champs didn't know how to close the game out I think that why do you keep Rabiot that long as a left wing back that makes absolutely no sense you have Lucas Hernandez there sitting there on your bench maybe he was injured or something and he couldn't play every single minute but I mean anything is better than Rabiot there and Lenglet I don't know what you do you have Jules Kunde as well why did you decide to bring Lenglet because he was gonna be better a better passer from the back I don't get it I really really don't so it's it's unfortunate now Maybe not for you because Spain has gotten a easier draw now on paper for the quarterfinals. But I guess for the neutral, the spectacle is kind of going a little bit down because these quarterfinals, although these teams do deserve to be there, they're not that kind of glycerine for the eye, right? They're not that big of a spectacle. But anyhow, fair play to them and let's see how they go from here. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I'll, I'll, move on, I'll move on to my twisted take. My twisted take actually was nearly about Mbappe. Um, but I'll probably speak about him a bit later. Mine is actually going to be about England. Uh, very big topic, obviously, about um, on the Tuesday game against Germany. They got they got the big win, really, on that side of the bracket. I do also want to talk about the bracket later, actually. Um, but I think my twist to take is this, and it's that Gareth Southgate's England play a lot better, or it suits them a lot better, to play a back five than it does to try and play a 4-3-3 uh, with attacking players on the pitch. The reason I say that is we saw it in the World Cup in 2018, when they have the five back, two holding midfielders in front of the back four, oh, sorry, back five, that's almost, you know, seven defensive players and you've got three players up front to do the pressing and do all the magic. I think it suits them better with that coach, with the way they are playing right now England. I think it suits them a lot better to do that than it does to do the 4-3-3 with Foden and Grealish and Mount and all these wonderful players. That's what I've noticed. Yeah, I get that completely. I have to, I have to say that I think that I do like that. I I do understand that. I really like, out of all of the defensive players, I really like Kyle Walker as a right center back because I don't think that now at this age, he's as good as overlapping like someone perhaps like Trippier or Trent Alexander-Arnold can be. But he does give you a lot of pace when it comes to those interceptions and latch, and last these ditch tackles. So I really, really do like what Walker can do there. On the left wing back position, I think Shaw had a okay game against Germany I would be more inclined to play someone like Chilwell um, Chilwell perhaps or even slot Saka there let's see how it goes but if you want to have them that front three for me the issue would be 
or maybe in the defensive kind of two holding players would be you need to have some sort of more mobility there. Someone that can interlink the midfield more with the attack because something that I saw a lot in that game again with England until Grealish came on was that they were struggling to connect that. They were struggling to get the ball from the midfield to the front line because they weren't creating that much chances. All of the chances came through long balls, came through just a quick one-on-one that Sterling could do through the wing or something like that, but there wasn't really someone who could progress it. So I would try to play the very same way and I could be inclined to perhaps switch someone, one of Rice or Phillips. I don't know which one. I'm not too sure. I probably would switch Calvin Phillips because I think he's a little more, I would say, all-round. I think Rice is better defensively. So I would take out Phillips and try someone like Jude Bellingham, for instance. I think he's a very aggressive midfielder and uh, someone that can progress to incredible levels. I think he could work there, there very well. And the front three will also have to have a kind of sort of, I think... I don't know. I think if you are going to use this formation, someone like Harry Kane is also perhaps not the best player. And this was also something that I was thinking for a hot take. But I think that this England side could play potentially better if Harry Kane wasn't there. I think they will have more fluidity in attack. I don't know how you think about that. Like maybe even put, let's say, Mount, Jack Grealish and Sterling or um, or Mount instead of the, the position of Jude Bellingham and then have Foden slotted in the front three. I think there's so many different kind of positions and different um, players that you can select from that it just makes for a very sweet team now and I don't know about you do you think that this England team can go all the way well it's kind of why I wanted to bring up England because I've got so much to say on them and I agree with a lot of your points I didn't even think they played well yesterday I thought they played maybe some of the worst football we'd actually seen in the round of 16 it wasn't fun to watch it was pretty boring they had barely any chance creation there was no link between the midfield and attack They had five defenders just sat there stopping Germany. It wasn't good. My point is, and this is why it was my twisted take, is it suits them a lot better. Germany barely got a sniff. They had one with Werner in the first half and Havertz, you know, shot from outside the area. Other than that, you know, obviously the Müller chance, but, you know, I think that was more of a blip more than anything. Other than that, you know, England, it just suits them to play. They were playing long balls. You know, Maguire was getting his head on everything. They were playing scrappy football. The game was being cut up. There were fouls. There were free kicks, set pieces. It will, I didn't enjoy watching it at all. In my opinion, it might have been the worst of the round of 16 games, actually, in terms of a spectacle. But my point is, it suits England better. That's what England are under Southgate. They tried being this team with Foden and some of the best players in the tournament in this 4-3-3, and they didn't work because they don't have the coach, they don't have the style. It just doesn't suit them. They went to a back five. They put two holding midfielders in front of the back four. They put Saka out there, even though he's you know nowhere near as good as some of the other players on the bench, but he presses like crazy. You know, you can see what they're trying to do there. And for me, it just works It just works better for them. And, you know, they did do some, something similar in the World Cup. It's not impressive, in my opinion. It's not that good at all. And it shouldn't really be what they're aiming to do with that amazing squad. But it does work. And they've got a great chance of using it, not conceding any goals, and getting to a Euros final and potentially winning it on that side of the bracket. Yeah, I, get, I think that's the best way you describe it. Like, England have the tools to be better, but I don't think they have the like the marksmanship. I don't think they have the manager to take them to that next level. So why try to be something better when you have Southgate that is only capable to reach a certain level? Yeah, I I, I get that. And, and honestly, yeah, I could side with you. I think I think that that could be a way for them to reach all the way to the final. I could see them winning even playing that style, honestly. And maybe just wait until someday 
the FA decides to take <laughs> to resign Southgate contract and appoint somebody more adventurous, maybe. Um, but uh, right now, I think they're in these stages of the tournament where they can go all the way and they need to trust whatever the manager tells them, even even if it's Southgate. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably say that I agree with your take, really, and, and they should go like that. Okay then, guys, now we're going to get into the centerpiece of the podcast. And as we mentioned earlier, yes, we are going to be talking about the Copa American knockouts, but of course they go straight to the finals. Uh, final eight there, so the uh, the quarterfinals they go straight to, not the round of 16 in the Copa America. So we thought, you know what, we'll go over those in just a little bit, but first we'll actually talk about some of the round of 16 matches from the Euros, because I'm sure you guys wouldn't want us to skip over them. We've already spoken about a few. Uh, we thought we'd briefly touch on, on a few others first too, uh, because there were some absolute crackers. Uh, Luis, which one do you want to start with? Go ahead. Mm, I want to start with Spain. You know what? I want to start with Spain. Let's go to your España. <laughs> Let's go to your España. Dude, you must be like, you must be like, you sent me a GIF, I remember. I messaged you and we're like, what did I say? I said like, crazy game, huh? And you sent me a GIF of yeah. like a guy breathing through the paper bag. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that, that, I remember you, you sent me that at halftime and I just, I, I, I left it until full time. And oh my God, you know, uh, at halftime it was one all. By the end of the game, it was 5-3. So that says it all. Yeah, honestly, when I saw the game at the start, I was... I was texting with a friend while we were both seeing them, seeing it. Like, I was in my house, he was in his house. But first of all, we were saying, like, okay, Spain needs to do something here because they're creating a lot of chances, but they just wasted that hor- They just wasted it all because of that horrible own goal. Like, like, can we start from that? Like, what was Unai Simon even trying to to do that was like a preschooler's first touch my goodness oh when i saw that happening i was like and now they're gonna give an own goal to my poor little pedri when he was honestly the fault of unai simon i was like so sad for pedri but (laughs) uh but i cannot believe that actually happened that is like your death pay from what happened to to dubravka in the last game yeah yeah Oh, it was unbelievable, and it really felt typical Spain to me, because you're spot on, you know, we started well, we were creating chances, Koke had a good chance that he should have scored, Morata had a header at the back post that he should have scored, Spain were dominant, Spain were getting in their rhythm, Croatia barely got out of their own half, Spain were looking, yeah, we're going to take this game by the scruff of the neck, no goal came, and there we go, we passed it into our own net, it very much felt like watching Spain over the last few years, where even when it feels like we're doing something good, we just can't get over the line. That's what it felt like. You know, finally, eventually, we did get over the line. It's our first quarter final, actually, in a major tournament since 2012. You know, we went out in the 2014 World Cup group stages and then 2016 Euros round of 16, 2018 World Cup round of 16. So, you know, we've we've got through to the quarterfinals now. Of course, we're not going to settle with this again. We definitely need to go an extra mile now against Switzerland in the next round. But when that own goal went in, to me, it felt like, oh, my God. How? How does this happen every time? How is it a pantomime every time with Spain? And it was crazy. It was crazy. But the response, it took a little bit to come. I think the players looked a little bit shell-shocked, actually, after the goal went in. But they were like, oh, my God, you know, what on earth? But we got the equaliser before half-time. Sarabia has been a, a surprise inclusion in the squad, and he's getting goals and assists. So well done to him. Big goal there on almost a stroke of half-time. And Spain controlled that second half largely. There was a collapse at the end, and... Well, I'm sure you, you've got plenty of thoughts on the second half and extra time and whatnot. So, uh, you know, I'll let you have your say. Uh, well, I I just have to say that, like, one thing that I want to highlight a lot in this Spain team and something that makes me believe in them that they can go at least to the semifinals, 
is that they show mental mental strength. And that is something that you need to have as a team because first of all, in the first half, like you say, considering that goal, they were shell-shocked. They were kind of surprised. They were stumbling a bit. They didn't know how to react. But within that first half, they managed to get the goal. Normally, it takes you like the entire game to react. But inside that first half, we found the manager interacted with them. Um, they managed to actually get back into the game. So that is a good positive. And then when you go then to the extra time, oh, well, no, sorry, to the second half, you are winning by 3-1, and then Croatia come back 3-3, and then you are going to extra time, you are drawing, you are like, oh my God, we just blew a two-goal lead. And then you still are able to score two goals from the brink of almost getting eliminated in the last few minutes. I think that it shows that this Spain team at least believes in the unity and the strength of each other. And that is something that I see in them that none of the other teams that I see in the round of 16 have. I see that on Italy. I see that on Belgium. I see that on Spain, on Switzerland and the smaller teams. That's pretty much it. You know, of the big teams, that's that's it's hard to get that. You, you saw it in France, for instance, how after the game, there was a lot of reports saying that how Varane was shouting and fighting with Pogba and Pavard and all of those things. So that unity, I think, can take you, can take you a, a long way. And also, I want to highlight the point that we were talking before how Spain were lacking goals. And out of nowhere, in two games, they have scored 10 goals. So I don't know how is that possible, but they've been able to do that. And I don't think in any of those games, those five goals that they were scored, a single goal scorer was repeated. No? No, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's no. that's yeah. that's perfect Spain. That is literally what Tiki Tak is about. It's not about having a goal scorer. It's about having a system that works. So I'm just literally going to be sitting watching Spain waiting for Pedri to score. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I want to touch quickly before we move on to the next one. I think you made a really good point on the mental strength, uh, highlighting really all nice Simon. You know, the, the error he made, he, I think he stood up, he made a big save in the second half when it was a 2-1 actually, then an added time when we dropped again and we were thinking, oh my God, you know, how how on earth have we blown this? How on earth do we keep doing it? Then Croatia came out, they could have made it 4-3, I think it was Orsic again, Unai made a big save there and then Spain went down the other end and Morata scored. I don't know, it, fe it, felt, it felt like a big moment for Spain, the whole thing for Unai Simon, for Morata then to get the big goal. I really enjoyed it, it was a big moment for Spain. Yeah. And well, the other two games that I want to mention quickly are Ukraine, Sweden, and Belgium, Portugal. First of all, my boys, Ukraine with Shevchenko went through. That is, and my, my dark horses are, are still in the race. <laughs> and now they're going to beat England. No, JK. But, um, but that game, that game was just perfect football in, in, in my mind. That is what football is all about. It's by effort, despite being like, injured because at the end of the day in extra time like i don't know how many players went out injured like so many like five like in total from both sides together and then even the red card from that guy daniel daniel son like oh my god that red card is the reddest red card i have ever seen but uh he could have ended the guy's whole career there but um but indeed i really like that ukraine game because it wasn't the prettiest of footballs it wasn't it was just emotional it was dramatic it had everything you wanted to see in a game and i knew that this game meant something this is a typical game that you'd see like in in a world cup that nobody really cares about but then it just becomes a good game i remember that happening to me in 2010 watching paraguay versus japan like i don't care about japan i don't care about paraguay but 
I was there, I was walking down the street and I stood in a store, in a store, like in a street store that had their TV on. I stood there to watch like the entirety of the last 30 minutes. I watched the penalties with random people on the street. And that reminded me to Ukraine versus Sweden because it's like, you just you just enter into this emotion and and I, and I love that game. That is probably my one of my favorite games of the round of 16. I don't know why, I cannot explain it, but I love it. I love the Ukraine game. And you cannot write it that the guy, the Besadin, the guy who got the foul from Danielson, who got the red card then, that guy who got fouled and then he went off, the substitute to replace him, like the backup, backup striker, was the guy who scored. That is football for you. That is that is like synonymous with the sport. And I and I love that. I love that, honestly. So yeah, that that's one that I wanted to mention. And Belgium Portugal, I think I think you you may have something more to say about that game. Yeah, that, Belgium Portugal. Obviously, you know before before the game, we were finding that one quite hard to predict, weren't we? We were probably right about that. It was it was it was pretty even. Um, I want to give some shout outs to some Belgian players. Thomas Vermaelen, you know, unbelievable. We know at Barcelona he actually had a really good stint at, at, at a time. I remember when he started. Uh, away against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu around Christmas time, and he got three 0 win for Barcelona. And he was in the team for a while there with, with I think, one of them Titi's injuries, um, and he did very well then. But I, I just thought, you know, I was surprised to see Vermeulen in the whole squad. Actually, never mind in the starting lineup against Ronaldo's Portugal, but he was immaculate, so calm, dealt with Ronaldo in the air and on the ground. He was he was brilliant. Um, I was impressed with Belgium. Belgium were getting some like critics for playing defensive football. Look, I, I thought they did their job defensively. I don't think they were over-defensive. I, I, I enjoyed watching Lukaku. Uh, Torgan Hazard scored a great goal. I really enjoyed watching Eden Hazard. You know, as, as a Chelsea fan, he did so much for us. And, you know, nicely so, actually, he's done badly at Real Madrid. But I was really happy to see him back to his best. I thought he was excellent <laughs> against against Portugal, much like the Hazard of old. Uh, Hazard of old. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Thankfully, he did bad at Real Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for, for Barcelona, you know. It, wor- yeah, it, wor- it, it, it worked perfectly for me. He was amazing at Chelsea and then he's done nothing at Real Madrid. And we got yeah, massive yeah. money for him. That yeah, made us I rebuild mean, and win the Champions League. Win-win, win-win. Yeah, it was like and, 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 and then he goes and performs like that against Ronaldo's Portugal. So I was really impressed with Hazard. Um Portugal tried to come back into the game late, didn't they? They had some chances of Godeiro hit the post, but in the end, they're out. You know, Ronaldo's furious, throwing his armband on the floor again. Yeah, I, I was glad to see Belgium go through. They had some good individual performances in there, and Roberto Martinez's side have done it again, and they will probably set up the tie of the quarterfinals, actually, against Italy, which will be interesting. Yeah, I think... Look, I would predict Belgium to go all the way to the final from that side, but I think the misses from the Bruin and... Yeah, like the miss yeah. of not having the Bruin and Hazard are gonna be huge. That is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that is like eighty percent of your creativity gone. <laughs> and I don't know, man. I don't know. I still feel that they're gonna be a good side, and I think. But now, now it's like more fifty-fifty than ever before against Italy. It's it's still more fifty-fifty because of those two injuries. But um, but I guess we have to see. And we predicted both Portugal to go through in that tie, right? So yeah, we got we that one we did, both yeah. wrong as well. One of many uh, that I got wrong. Yeah. Uh, let's see quickly. You Wales, Denmark. Denmark went through. You predicted Wales, right? Yep. Uh, Italy, Austria, both Italy. Italy, yeah. I predicted Netherlands. You predicted yep. Netherlands. Me too. Belgium, uh, Portugal, Belgium Portugal, Portugal, Portugal. So right now I got two wrong. You got how many wrong? Three. I got three wrong. 
Uh, Spain, Croatia, Spain, yep. right? France, Switzerland, wrong because yep. France went out. Then England, Germany, we both predicted Germany. Yep. And then Sweden, Ukraine, I predicted Ukraine, you predicted Sweden. Wow. I got, I got, I got, I got, I got two out of eight. Okay, two out of eight. Two out of eight. Wow. I, I said, well, oh no, no, no. I said Spain as well. I said Spain, Italy, and that's it, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I got. I did get two out of eight. In my case, no. You got the Netherlands. Oh yeah, you got two out of eight. Let no, me no, see. No, no, no. I said uno, dos, tres, cuatro. I got four out of eight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's see now if you do better in the Copa America. Yeah. Woo, yeah. What a segue. <laughs> okay. Let's move on then to the Copa America predictions. We of course are going to be going through similar to what we did last time, actually. Um, for the Euros run of 16 games. We're going to be going through game by game, giving some some slight thoughts and then going on through the bracket too, are we not? Which is going to be uh, interesting. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what you have to say. Of course, you are much more knowledgeable on on this side of, of football. So I'm interested to see you know what you have to say about some of these nations actually. And, and I'll drop my thoughts around that. But we're going to be going through game by game with the quarterfinals. Let's start with your nation, Peru, up against Paraguay. What are your thoughts? The other day, I was listening to all the national anthems of South American countries. And like, I'm not going to lie. The Peruvian national anthem is like, like the Uruguayan national anthem is good. The Peruvian is probably like second. But then all of the other ones are like awful. They have no rhythm. They have no like good lyrics. They're all about like... The Uruguayan one is good because it combines a lot of instruments and they talk about like Incas and they talk about like, I don't know what, but it, I don't know, it makes you feel like a warrior. But then the other ones are just so boring. The Peruvian is cool. The Peruvian one, I like it a lot. Not I'm, And to be honest, I'm Chilean by by nationality. By I was born in Chile, so it's not biased. <laughs> wow, okay. Well, you, you know, in Europe, just touching. For me, my two favorite anthems are Italy and France. Is it in France? La Marseillesa. That's how yeah. it's written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so Peru versus Paraguay. Okay, yep. so of course this one I think for the neutral is going to be the one that not too many people are going to be really liking that much. It's not going to attract the eye that much. But I'll probably tell you guys that apart from Uruguay-Colombia, this is the most tightest of matches. Because Paraguay and Peru are very similar right now in terms of footballistic level. And I think that both teams are coming into this uh, round of the quarterfinals with two very good performances or kind of a good group stage performances so far in La Copa America. So what you need to know about Peru and Paraguay a little bit different is that right now Paraguay are with Eduardo Berizzo. Do you remember Berizzo? Do you remember that? Does re- w- w- wait, was he in La Liga? Yeah, he was in Celta de Vigo. Yeah, yeah, Celta, yeah. Yeah, so he after he got after he departed from Celta de Vigo, he went to Paraguay to become the national uh, team manager, and they're playing better football than before. Paraguay was always this team uh, a la a la Burnley, I would say, the team that always kind of like wait for Sam Vokes or someone like that, a big, strong, tall guy to just cross cor- corners and crosses to. So they're changing that a little bit. They're becoming more of a uh, I'll say a fast, a fast counter-attacking team because they got Almiron now uh, from Newcastle, playing Newcastle. They got the Romero uh, brothers that play also pretty good football. 
And Matias Rojas, that plays in Racing, that I really, really like. He's this kind of like number 10 slash number 8 player that is just amazing to watch, honestly. And they have a lot of technique players. And that is something that Beris is changing. People in Paraguay don't really like that. They were they had a lot of criticisms to, towards that. They were saying that they didn't like the style because, for instance, uh, in the in the Copa qualifiers before the Copa America, they lost against Brazil, and in Paraguay in Asunción, which is their capital, and they hadn't lost to Brazil in Asunción in their capital for over like twenty years against Brazil. So it's like they were really mad because that was like their only only good thing that they had with Brazil. So here you have to understand something. For everyone watching in Europe, beating Brazil is not easy here in South America, okay? So whatever you need or whatever you can have in your favor to say that you are kind of better than Brazil, you take it. You take it because beating Brazil is not easy. So I respect that. So Paraguay played good football, but the latest game against Uruguay wasn't the best. They kind of lacked, I think, a little bit of that fluidity with the ball. The circulation wasn't was not as fast, and they're not going to be playing with Almiron. So it's going to be a little bit difficult for them, I think, in the counterattacks when it comes against Peru. And what you need to know about Peru coming into this Copa America is that Ricardo Areca uh, didn't call up a lot of the big name players. So there's no Edison Flores. There is no Advincula that plays in Rayo Vallecano in, in Spain. There is no Paulo Guerrero. There's no Jefferson in England. They say, oh, you're from Peru. So you're, you're, uh, you are from Jefferson Farfan. Yeah, so no Jefferson Farfan. No Jefferson Farfan. Um, so a lot of these old players, they are not coming into the squad. Why? Because a lot of Peru's critics and kind of media were asking, were pressuring Gareca to say, we need this kind of, we need a younger breed. We need to get new players because Guerrero and Farfan are getting old. So before we were always kind of, we needed them. We needed them because our team didn't work without them. We didn't have the names. Now in this Copa America, we are getting new names that can demonstrate that can be part of the team. And that is what we wanted to see. So that is why Gareca said after we completed the group stages, he said already in the group stages, the task has been completed. The mission has been a complete success because we found new names that can enter into the team and can perform to these levels. So for instance, Sergio Peña, the number 10 for FC Emmen, that I know with my friend Insider that I used him for my thesis. Uh, his name is Diego Montalban. He's a reporter for ESPN in in, uh, in USA and maybe he's watching. He was saying that Sergio Peña already has some kind of like transfers, possible transfers to Spain, which could happen. So um, Valencia are interested, for instance, and also uh, for Luis Abram. But the thing is that those players that were before not part of the squad, now we know that we can rely on them. So Sergio Peña, for instance, now would be in every single Peruvian would be like a starter. We want, we want him to be a starter because we know what he's capable of. The same with Gianluca Lapadula. He's a striker that was from Italy. He played. He didn't play for Italy, so then he switched back nationalities to Peru. Uh, now he's here. He's an Italian playing for Peru, but my goodness, he's like working his socks off, and everybody loves him here. Um, everybody loves La Padula. Like I'm telling you, every single person here in the world in Peru in this city loves La Padula. Like I talk to people that don't even watch football to lead, like a girl, and they go like, "Oh yes, La Padula for president," and I go like, "What?" <laughs> so they love La Paula. Everybody loves La Paula. So, <laughs> so yeah, we know that we can count on La Paula. So now it's like, for whenever we need to play a big game, it's like, do we need Paulo Guerrero? No, we can also use La Padula. So that is the good things that are happening for Peru. So, okay, 
After you get the, this context, let's get back into the game. Peru versus Paraguay, what do I expect? I think that Peru, of course, as they are my team, a little bit biased here, I think Peru can take this game because Paraguay, like I already said, are going to be lacking Almiron. And I think that Peru has showed some solidity and resilience in the last few games. We beat Colombia. We drew against Ecuador after being 2-0 down, which are a very amazing uh, string of two goals with La Paula very involved. I think Peru right now has more informed players than Paraguay as well. And also, under Gareca, Peru has never lost against Paraguay. So I think that we can beat Paraguay. Um I'm gonna be very interested to hear the European opinion from my friend Pablo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I'd been able to catch uh, catch much of Peru or Paraguay. I I, I saw Paraguay. They got. I saw um a few days ago. They got a good result against uh, Chile, two 0 But then again, when I saw Chile against Argentina, they weren't that impressive anymore. I didn't feel. You know, they got what a lucky penalty really in the end with with Vidal who equalised. But it was all Argentina really that game. Um, but I, I, I thought Paraguay perhaps had a bit more. I am a fan of the coach that you mentioned there, Berito, is it? Um, but, but no, Almiron is, is a big miss. It is a big miss. I do think it will be an even game. Um, Peru are an interesting nation. I, I think I mentioned to you off camera before that I was really interested to see what Peru actually did in the 2018 World Cup. A year later, then, you've gone to the, uh, to the Copa America final against Brazil, uh, narrowly losing in the end. I think 3-1 it was the final score. It wasn't so, narrowly. It wasn't narrowly. We got fucking devoured. By yeah, Peru. but I, I, I remember. I remember. Was it Peru either going one nil up or equalising on the stroke of half time? And I was thinking, oh. yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway. Um, I think it's going to be a close game. I think. I think it's evenly balanced. You know, obviously, I don't have the biggest inside info. You've given me a good overview there. I think if I was to give a percentage, maybe I'd give fifty-five to Paraguay and forty-five to Peru. Um, but of course, you know, you will have a little more information on, on it than that. But. I mean, I'm interested to see how that one goes because it will be a big game, you know. Whoever wins that in the semi-final of the Copa America, so that's big. Yeah, no, I'm gonna go Peru. Like, I think that I, I, I am confident. Like, that's the thing. Ever, not ever in my history, or not ever in the history of many Peruvians, could you say that you were confident in your team? I am confident in my team, and that is something that I will not be able to say that many times ever. Like, probably after Gareca leaves which he will probably lease for Argentina. That's what the rumors are saying, that after Gareca leaves, like, his contract runs out. He wanted, like, um, there was a moment where Argentina didn't have, like, pre-Scaloni, um, Gareca was out of contract with Peru. And Gareca was in talks with Argentina. But then Gareca was like, you know what, I'll stay with Peru for one more cycle. So after the Qatar World Cup. And after that, he was like, I'll be Argentina manager afterwards. Because, like, everyone here in South America respects the guy. Because he's like, He's a really good coach. So you'll probably see him manage Argentina one day. So just wait for that. So just so, so you know, people. Ricardo Areca will probably manage Argentina one day. But um, but yeah, I think that I, I have to say the opposite. You said 55 for Paraguay, 45 yeah. for Peru. I'll go the, I go the other way. I go Peru 55, Paraguay 45. And But this one could be one of those games that goes like... 2-2 and then extra time uh, and then goals and then and then like penalties. Although, like I said, Peru has never lost against Paraguay ever under Gareca. And we've played them like so many times. So it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see. All right, let's move on to the next game then. Brazil versus Chile. I, I will, of course, know a, a little more about these nations. I've been able to catch a, a bit of Chile, actually, as I mentioned there. And also a little bit of Brazil. And I have seen that Brazil have gone about their business again. You know, whether it's a dominant win or a last minute win with Firmino in the 10th minute of stoppage time. They've managed to find a way again. Give me the lowdown on this one. What are your thoughts? Uh, 
Brazil are just Brazil in South America. Like Brazil, honestly, they don't need to play to their highest of levels against any other team apart from Argentina. They really, really don't. Or apart when they get into trouble. So sometimes Brazil can get into trouble. It's like sometimes you will always get into trouble. So for instance, I've seen games where Venezuela score from a corner against Brazil and Brazil are one nil down or Peru score from a from a penalty and stuff like that. So of course Brazil are gonna get into those kind of troubles, into those kind of problems. Until those problems happen. Brazil, they always play like at 50%. And then afterwards, they start playing at 100%. And when they play 100%, I'll tell you, they play 100%. Like, it's, it's, they are, they are at a, a top, top level. I'm really surprised that they didn't do better in the World Cup. I honestly thought that they were going to beat Belgium because they're, they're a good side. They're at that level of, of European teams. Like, if you're talking about the best teams in the world, I can say France, Belgium, Brazil, Portugal, and that's pretty much it. You know, like the four best, best teams. But I think Brazil is up there. They really, really do play at that sort of level. All of their basic players, all of their 11 play in Europe. Um, they're basically European players. But coming now to Chile, I think that Chile, the problem with Chile right now is that once they have a lot of injured players, they don't have Alexis Sanchez. I think Vidal is not going to be available for this game. And also Charles Arang Arangis is not going to be there available. Something very interesting that is happening with Chile is that they're trying to do the same as Peru. They're trying to incorporate new names into the side. So the manager is a new manager. Um, I think he's Reinaldo Rueda, if I'm not wrong. And he is trying to incorporate, like I said, new names into the side. And one of the new names, I don't know if you knew this, but it's that guy, Ben Bredenton. Yeah, I, I was waiting for you to mention it. <laughs> ben Bredenton from... All the way from, where does he play? Blackburn Rovers to Chile. Scoring for Chile in La Copa America. It has to be the biggest turnaround ever in football. It makes absolutely no sense, but it works. And the guy is playing good. Like, I've seen the games from Chile, and the guy is playing good. He's playing good football because he brings something different to what they didn't have. Before, they just had Eduardo Vargas, which Eduardo Vargas is a good striker. Very similar to Ben Bredeton, a striker that can run the channels pretty well. Very fast, very... Uh, intuitive, good good association play. But the thing is that Vargas is cocky as fuck. I'm going to peep this. He's, he's really, really cocky. And he doesn't really like to pass. He doesn't really like to associate with the team. Like, Peru were beating Chile 3-0 in the last semifinals. I don't know if you knew this, but Peru were beating Chile 3-0 in the last semifinals to beat Brazil, to reach, like, to, to get to the final against Brazil. And the guy had a penalty in the last minute to discount, like to get to get the 3-1 for Chile. And the guy decided to chip the penalty. And the goalkeeper from Peru, he just stood in the middle, anticipating something like that. And he saved it. He just stood there and saved it. And then he said in the press conference, he went like, I know Eduardo Vargas. I know what he wants to do. And that's the difference. Ben Breton isn't that sort of character. Ben Breton is coming here to a country that is not his own country. It's from his mother. So he's trying to embrace a different culture. He even has Breton Diaz in yeah, the back of his that. name. So he, looks more, so he looks more South American and Latino, yeah, so good. which I love it. And I like that he's actually embracing that because he's part of the team. He gives you that forward that is more associative, like that Alexis Sanchez that they didn't have. Before, without Alexis Sanchez, they didn't have someone that could connect Eduardo Vargas with the rest of the team. Now they do in Bremberenton. So it's good for them because they're having a player that has a different profile. And I like that a lot. So good good on them because honestly, I didn't know how it was going to work, but it's working wonders for them. So now, now I would start Bremberenton like probably every single game after now. 
um, he's actually playing good football. So coming to the game, I still think that Brazil are more than Chile at this current moment. I think that if you're ranking up the teams, uh, perhaps it's like Brazil, Argentina above everybody else. And then you have like Uruguay, Colombia and Chile. And then you have Peru, Paraguay. And then you have Bolivia, Venezuela, uh, Ecuador, probably at the level of Peru. And then Bolivia and Venezuela at the bottom, which they're, they didn't qualify. So Chile are still a difficult team to beat. But I do think that Brazil have more now here because they're with Tite. They've played for far longer than with Tite under four, four or five years. Chile are under this new manager for just less than like five months. So I think Brazil can have not an easy game. But of course, I think they are they are looking like the favorites here. So I'm going to give them as... I'm going to give them 65 to 35. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'd, large, I'd largely agree with your assessment. I, th- I think you made a good point about Brazil playing, you know, at 50%. That is, that is what I see of them a lot. But, you know, they, they just cruise through, don't they, in most stages of the Copa America now. They seem very, very superior to the other nations, even perhaps to Argentina. But Argentina looked good, as we'll get on to later. So that could be that could be a tight a tight game if it was to happen in the final. That would be a cracker. Or if they were to meet, you know, again in the future. So... I'd be interested to see that one. But Brazil, they don't have all of the same players as they had in the past, of course. There's a few new guys coming through, uh, like Militao in defence, who's been getting a few appearances here and there. But, you know, Thiago Silva and Marquinhos, if, if they're fit, you'd imagine, will be in there. But they still have Neymar up front. They've got some other players around there, like Richarlison and, and Gabriel Jesus and Firmino. And, of course, they've got all the other classic guys in there. And I still see them as the dominant side in, in South America. Chile... Chile are an interesting one. I kind of compared Chile to um to Croatia in the Euros actually, in the way that I I I I kind of get that they're trying to keep the same style and players that they were playing four or five years back. So I, I feel as if Chile are still trying to live on the Alexi Sanchez who so they they don't have on Bravo in goal, on Vargas, on Arturo Vidal, on these sorts of players, and and I think it's almost catching up with them. When I watched them against Argentina. Uh, which was very late here, but you know, I thought I thought I'd stay up for it, see how Messi was doing. He whipped in a brilliant free kick, but when I watched them that game, Argentina probably should have won the game up four 0 in the end. It ended one all because of a, a stupid penalty that Argentina gave away. But Chile offered very little in that game. They got run over really, and like I said, should have lost the game by a lot of goals. So my assessment would be seventy to Brazil and thirty to Chile if I was to give a ranking. Yeah, I think that's fair. So. Yep, now we can move onwards, I think, to what it would be the tightest of games, that is Uruguay versus Colombia. And starting to give you the lowdown on these two teams, basically. Um, Uruguay are having a little bit of problems. They had a lot of problems actually in qualifying. They're qualifying on their group third, which is not something... Or no, actually second. They could have qualified third, but they qualified in second of the group. But they were actually struggling a lot. Why... I'm not too sure they're misfiring. They didn't start too many games with Suarez and Cavani up top. I think that uh, El Profesor Tavares, Maestro Tavares, that's how they call him here in South America. Um, Oscar Washington Tavares, that's his full name. It's really long, really weird. But, um, but Tavares kind of realized that perhaps Suarez and Cavani are not at their fittest. And it's really hard to have these two kind of older strikers now at this stage in their careers kind of pressing alone. Even though I do think that together they're more powerful, it's hard to see how they would balance. Uruguay still play the same 4-4-2. Uh, they're not shifting that much. What they're doing now is that instead of putting another striker, they're kind of adding an extra playmaker that can do the pressing for the kind of 
lacking of a striker, which in this case is uh, the Rascaeta. And it's working good, it's working good, but it's not, I think, as effective. And where I think they're lacking a lot is the defense. And here is where I really do not know what Tavares is actually doing. Because Diego Odin is what now, like 37 years of age, he can no longer run. He's not playing very good football at Cagliari right now in Serie A. You have Jose Maria Jimenez, which is a good defender, but there he's not the fastest. They're lacking someone that can be a sweeper, someone that can be the rock-solid defender that they need to be able to sweep the last attacks because they're conceding a lot of chances. If you look at Uruguay's games, normally Uruguay is the Atletico Madrid of South America. That's how they play. That's how that's what they do. That's They just are 100% effort, 100% blood and tears. And they are lacking that now because... Their muscle is an old muscle, if you know what I mean. So they can no longer match the same levels of output that they had before. So I would be saying, where is Ronald Araujo? That is the issue that I have with, with Uruguay right now. Some people were talking about an injury. I'm not too sure. He was still called up for the last game. So I do not get that. Maybe, maybe he was still injured. Maybe South American media not working as how it should be. Um, but um, but I think even though Imerino and Ronald Araujo start Coates, who had an incredible incredible season in Sporting de Lisboa, you need to change something there because Diego Odin is not cutting it right now. He was an incredible defender, one of my favorite center backs of all time, but it's not working. It's really, really not working. And playing a midfielder in Nathan Nandes as a right back, it isn't also working. Playing Matias Viña, a young left back that plays for um, Palmeiras, I think. It doesn't really work as well. So I don't know. I think it's a mix of a young and, and a young and old squad. But it's like Tavares doesn't really want to shift completely the, the balance and shift the balance from the old players to the new ones. Similar from what you mentioned from Chile. It's like they're sticking to the old pieces, but they don't want to transition fully. And I think that sometimes you need to take the risk to transition completely. Like what Gareca did. Gareca could have easily brought Farfan and, and Guerrero to the Copa America, but he was like. No, I'm not even going to bring them. I'm not even going to call them up. I'm just going to let them be at home, enjoy their vacations, and I'm going to bring on the youngsters. And I think that is sort of what some teams here in South America are lacking, especially Uruguay. In the case of Colombia, it's very similar. Colombia has this interesting thing, especially for Colombian people. Colombia talk about... Uh, Colombians talk about Colombia like if they are... Um, let's say the, the third best team in South America. So they talk about Brazil, Uruguay, and then Colombia. And they talk about how Colombia needs to get to a semifinal of the World Cup and they need to win a Copa America. It's like they are of that level. And when I don't really feel that's the case, I feel that apart from Zapata, Luis Muriel, and Cuadrado, you don't have that many players. And James Rodriguez, which is not even called up, you don't have that many good players. Like Jerry Min is fine, Davidson Sanchez is fine. They're all fine players, but... Is it really better than what Uruguay has? Is it really better than what Chile has or Peru has or Paraguay has? I don't I don't think so. It's a little bit better, yes, indeed, but it's not of the quality of Brazil and Argentina. And Colombia are also not playing the best right now. They're having a good a new manager, a new manager that still only has, I think, seven matches. So he's only played seven matches so far. And it's it's still they still haven't found how they want to play, and they're relying a lot of also on the old names. And Juan, and Juan Cuadrado right now, without Jaime Rodriguez, is basically doing all the playmaking. 
He's playing as a right back, then playing as a right winger, then playing as a number 10, playing as a left mid. He's just shifting all around the field and it's all kind of falling into him. So if you nullify Cuadrado, you basically nullify Colombia. And that's kind of what Venezuela, Ecuador, and Peru did. Peru just did that in all the three games and Colombia struggled. They lost against Peru. They barely won against Ecuador. They drew against Venezuela because basically Juan Cuadrado had to do it all and they nullified their attack. Also, Zapata plays as a left winger, which I have absolutely no idea what he's actually doing there. But that's what they're doing in Colombia. And I think that, honestly, it's going to surprise you a bit. But I think that Uruguay has more chances to beating, than beating Colombia in this one. And I think that Uruguay could potentially, with what they have, which is still not the best, could beat Colombia here in this game, potentially around, um, I'll say, 55 to 45. Mm. Okay, so you're expecting a close game. Fair enough, because I, I agree with you in the fact that what I've seen from Uruguay, what I've heard mostly and what I've seen from results is that they have been struggling a little bit. Um, when I watched them against Argentina, again, they they barely got a kick. Suarez really didn't have a chance. Neither did Cavani, and that is never a good sign. They couldn't really get the ball up to them. The 4-4-2, it seems a little bit stubborn to me. The defence, you know, which was kind of the thing they always used to, to, to sit upon, wasn't it? You know, that doesn't seem as rock solid anymore. Araujo, I think, has had a little bit of a knock injury, which has been a miss for them. You mentioned that earlier. And Godin, obviously, you know, isn't at the calibre that he was in 2016 or whatnot. So I think Uruguay also having some transitional issues. All of their best players are above the age of 30, really, other than Jose Maria Jimenez. So they are having issues, Uruguay, for sure. Uh, Colombia, from what I've seen, haven't really been getting the best of results. Of course, they suffered the uh, the, the late defeat, didn't they, to Brazil, which obviously would have been a kick in the teeth. They do have some good players, no hammers, but like you mentioned, Zapata, um, Yerimina, Davinson Sanchez, Cuadrado, you know, some, some good footballers. Um, but I agree with you. I actually think Uruguay are going to go through. And I, I'd, I'd, I'd probably almost give it the same as you, 55 to Uruguay and 45 to Colombia, or even 60 to Uruguay and 40 to Colombia would be my prediction. Yeah. And what do you think about that, of what I said, about Colombian people thinking that Colombia is that good? <laughs> yeah, that, that surprised me. Are you that surprised? surprised me. Yeah correct, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. When was the last time Col Colombia like, won anything? Because like, I can't remember. Or maybe they won a Copa America like, not to, in the last decade. I'm not sure, but I find that surprising. Yeah, in the last decade, they haven't. Yeah. But um, but I remember the like the 2014 World Cup when they lost against Brazil in the quarterfinals. They were like, yeah, this is kind of our step to get back into the to get back into the like we were playing good football, right? So so now in the 20 in the next in the next Copa America they lost in the quarterfinals. In the next Copa America they lost to. I don't, know, I don't remember who they lost to, but then in the 2018 World Cup, I remember that going to that World Cup, everyone was saying that Colombia had to get to semifinals. And I'm like, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> and with all the respect, they could have got into the semifinals if they beat England on penalties. Oh, yeah, on that side of the bracket, yeah. Yeah, but they didn't. But then afterwards, like, Colombia are not that... Wow. Like, Colombia are a good team. They're a good team. Before, they were better, I believe. With René Guita, with Valderrama. They were a good team. They beat Germany in the World Cup a long time ago. Um, West Germany, when there was West Germany at the time. But um, but I don't know. I don't know. I I, I don't know what it, what it is, but it's like they want to get back into that because Colombia hasn't won that much, I think, historically. But it's like they got the talent, they got the quality, they got the players outside in Europe. It's just like they're missing that extra notch. It's like they're like the Tottenham of South America. 
<laughs> okay, okay. They're lacking that, that extra step. But anyhow, we have now Argentina versus Ecuador. And this is the last matchup. So I think you watch more of Argentina because, of course, Leo. So why don't you start with that and give me your view and then I'll add a bit on this one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Argentina are the team that I've watched the most of in this Copa America. Um, I caught only the start of their game against Paraguay. Apparently that was a real, real tough watch. I saw I was too late, but I saw they beat uh, Bolivia 4-1 comfortably. I caught all of the game against Uruguay and also all of the game against Chile. So almost the main two tests actually for Argentina. I, I, I've watched Argentina a lot over the last two years uh, under under Scaloni or, or so. And I think they have improved a lot. From when I saw them, you know, in the, you remember the 2018 World Cup with, with San Paoli and I don't know, they look like such a mess, su- such a such a disappointment after those those two Copa America defeats to, to Chile as well in the previous seasons. And I think Scaloni came in and steadied the ship. I like what he's done with the team. Messi seems to always play with a smile on his face right now. I feel like he has rejuvenated the side a lot. I, he's completely changed the midfield with Paredes in there. Um, De Paul's been a fantastic involvement in my inclusion, in my opinion. Los Celso there next to them works well. Lautaro hasn't been firing, but I still feel as if he rejuvenates the team up top. Picking Emi Martinez for this tournament two in goal was a big relief instead of Franco Armani, in my opinion. And I just, I see Argentina as a team that have actually really come along in the last few years. I don't think they've got, they're not as full of stars as in, as in the past, actually. Um, but they've, they they look impressive to me. And I think they've got a good shot of winning the whole thing, actually, against Brazil. I'd probably still see Brazil as the favourite for the whole tournament. But I've been impressed with Argentina. And I think if you look at them up against Ecuador, they will be feeling if they don't win this game... That'll be, you know, a big, big upset, really, because, well, they, they should be, they should really, I feel, be comfortably winning that match against Ecuador. I think it's, you know, not an unbelievably good draw, but I think it's a good draw for, for Argentina for, obviously, their, their group position. Um, they've won their group. They've looked comfortable. I've seen them developing under under Scaloni over the last few years. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they, they, they should do. They should really be getting to the semifinals here. Yeah, yeah. Quickly mention in Ecuador, just so like the people know, Ecuador is like a team that um that are nasty to play against. Like Ecuador are always gonna make you play bad. That's just the thing. Ecuador are a team that tactically they always set up very good, and Alfaro, their manager, is a very intelligent man because he has kind of shifted all around the national teams around. I think, and he therefore knows a lot of the intricate details of every single player of every single national team here in South America. He's very knowledgeable. He has been in many countries. So he always sets up his teams to be kind of the perfect kryptonite to whatever you put out. So he always, always does good. He always is able to struggle, but they're lacking the firepower. So I think that is where potentially Argentina could get the win. Like I think Argentina could get a potentially, it will be difficult for them to open up the the gates. But as soon as you score one goal, then it could be easier for them. But I would still keep an eye on Ecuador because they are, they're, like I say, they're a hard pill to swallow. They're not the toughest team out there. They're, they didn't win any game in the group stages. They just simply go, went through via draws. They drew three games and that was enough for them. But that tells you everything you need to know about them, basically. It's hard to beat Ecuador. It's hard to beat Ecuador. That's the thing. So Argentina, yeah, like like we mentioned before, uh, I think off screen, like when we were preparing the engine room, we were talking about how Argentina, I think the key for Argentina is more not Messi and their stars, but how they're incorporating the new names like Emiliano Martinez. I think that El Cuto Romero, the center back from Atalanta, 
even Otamendi looks playing much better, Acuna. And for me, the revelation of Argentina this, this tournament has to be their right back because normally it was going to be Gonzalo, Gonzalo Montiel. But now out of nowhere, I never heard of the guy. They bring in a carrilero, a right midfielder from Udinese. Do you do you do you know? Yeah, anything I think about I've seen this? him. Come on, does he wear that? The number yeah. twenty-six, I believe. Yeah, Nahuel Molina Lucero. Molina yep, Lucero, right winger for Udinese or carrilero, whatever you want to call him, and he's playing right back. And he's this natural kind of attacking fullback that is basically just a winger. But his association play with Messi is really really good. Like it's. It, he, I, it's, it's the basically sort of player that Messi would need, like Messi with Dani Alves or Messi like a like Messi likes to play with Sergio Roberto because Sergio Roberto is so bad at defending that like he almost stays always in the in the midfield, right? So that's what he likes. He likes these players to always be interlinking and waiting for the second ball when he's falling to them, so that Messi can pick it up from the middle, from the right hand side where he likes it the best, and then just kind of just charge into the space. So it works well. Argentina are filling the team with good pieces. And like you say, I think the Paul was incredible of an addition. I think he's been an incredible player who has just kind of risen to stardom so much that it looks like Milan want to side them or also Atletico Madrid. And yeah, I think that Paredes is also working good. I, I'm having a little bit of trouble to see what they're going to be doing for their other midfielder spot. I don't think Scaloni has that much faith on Lochelso to start, like to be the main starter. I know that Paredes... And right now, the Paul are set. What they're doing a lot of the time is playing Guido Rodriguez from Real yeah, Betis, yeah, yeah. the CDM. And mm-hmm. Guido Rodriguez is allowing their Paredes and the Paul to be more of a... To be more open, to be more free, to be more of a number eight, you know, to be just what they... To be more creative and don't have that many responsibilities defensively. Because we see Paredes as a number five, as a defensive midfielder in Paris Saint-Germain. But let's remember that he has Idris Aganagay in front of him. So that is a little bit different because he has somebody else that's going to run a lot and cover for him. In Argentina, they don't have that. So Guido Rodriguez, I think, is a good option for them in the CDM. And I think that's going to be their midfield. I think that if we're talking about the main lineup, the main starting eleven for Argentina, let's say if they reach the final, it will potentially be like Emiliano Martinez, eh, Molina Lucero, Cuto, Cuto Romero. Then you have Otamendi. Then probably Acuna. I think Acuna is playing better than Talia Fico. I, I, I would play Acuna. Yeah, then Guido Rodriguez, probably De Paul, Paredes, Messi, Lautaro Martinez. I think Lautaro Martinez over Agüero because right now, even though Agüero has potentially more talent than Lautaro, Lautaro just gives you, he's younger, he presses more, he just gives you more to the side. And then the left winger position, I would actually keep give it to El Papu Gomez because this Copa America, he's playing really, really good. Uh, Di Maria doesn't really play that good for the left wing. He plays, I think, better for the right because he has a natural profile as a left-footed. But Messi's already there, so that cannot happen. And Nicolás González, I don't know. He was pretty good in the Commonwealth qualifiers. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but Papo Gómez already has two goals this this campaign. And and he it seems like his link-up play with Messi is playing good. And you know how there are some players that just play good for certain tournaments, and that's it? Uh, I think that Papo Gomez could, could that that could be the case for Papo Gomez here uh, with Argentina. So I would just I would just keep Papo Gomez because he has already started two games on the bounce. So let's see, let's see. I think Papo Gomez could work there as a, a front three with Lautaro Martinez and Messi. Uh, I would use that. I think. So indeed, I think that Argentina potentially this could be the more one-sided uh, quarterfinals match in, in my opinion. So I'm gonna go with seventy percent to Argentina and then thirty uh, percent for Ecuador. 
Okay, yeah. I mean, you gave me some interesting information on Ecuador. Maybe I maybe I un- underestimated them, obviously, from from not being able to watch them at all. Um, and it's interesting that they are that sort of defensive team that are going to make things hard for Argentina. That that could actually frustrate Argentina. So I'm going to go for 65 to Argentina, 35 to Ecuador. Obviously, I still feel Argentina will go through. Um, touch on the left wing position. I think it's going to be interesting to see who Scaloni picks there, actually. I do like Nicolás González because he gets in the positions a lot, but he also has been missing a lot of chances, almost like Morata for Spain. So it's like the balance of whether you want to keep the chance creation or do you want to put in a more deadly player like Papel, who's been playing well? I don't know. I think they'll I think they'll eventually go for Papel. But yeah, interesting predictions there. Something they could try is that uh, Argentina played with Lautaro and Agüero as a front three with Messi in the last um, in the last Copa America. So maybe maybe they could try that. How in the last Copa America? So maybe they could try that. I think that could work as well. But uh, but anyhow, uh, let's just compare. So who do you think? Peru from Paraguay, you say Paraguay would go for Yeah, just I said I say yeah. Peru. You're so mean. <laughs> okay. Brazil, Chile, I think Brazil. Yep. Uh Uruguay, Colombia, Uruguay. Yep. And then Argentina, Uruguay. So Argentina, Uruguay would be one semifinal, and then my semifinal will be Brazil, Peru, and you say Paraguay, Brazil. So from Argentina, Uruguay, who do you think is gonna win? I think Argentina. I, I think, think Argentina, from what, yeah. they obviously they played each other in the group stage, but Argentina looks far superior. And I think if they're up for it, they can they can really run over an, an aging and kind of odd Uruguay squad. Yeah. And then the other one, no matter what team it is, you say yeah. Brazil. You'd, you'd, you'd imagine, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to say Peru, but... <laughs> <laughs> why, like, why Brazil? Like, I think Peru can beat, like, Uruguay and Colombia and any mm. other team. But Brazil is just like... Is the hard one, you know? <laughs> it's the impossible. Yeah, so you're, tough. On, you're on so that tough. side of the bracket, aren't you? Yeah, um, yeah, I would love to say like new, new in the last few minutes we score a penalty or like we La, get La Padula. To, yeah, La Padula penalty or like <laughs> or like a header from a corner or something like that. Like we beat like something. A fun fact for you, in fact, Pablo. Mm-hmm. From the last four games that Brazil has lost, we have Brazil losing to Argentina. Brazil losing to Belgium, and Brazil losing to Peru twice. Wow. Yeah, both of them so. won new. So well, it could happen. Then. It could happen. It could, but yeah, Brazil. So <laughs> final Brazil Argentina and. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I could say Argentina could win it. I feel. I feel it. It's very even that final. I think if that final is that if that final does happen, which everyone's expecting it to, which almost tells me it's not going to happen because that's usually the case in football when everyone's thinking, oh yeah, that would be an amazing final, wouldn't it? And it never really ends up happening. But it's looking likely. I think those two teams are the are the best teams on each of their sides of the bracket. I think it'd be a really close final and a huge, huge final, by the way, just in terms of not only South American football, but of course, you know, Messi to end it to see if he ends with a title for Argentina or not, that sort of stuff. Oh, I mean, it would it would be a huge, huge game. I, I think Argentina would actually have a good go at it. I really do. I think, like I said, I have been quite impressed with them under Scaloni. But, you know, if I did have to go one way, I would have to side with Brazil. Just their experience. They've done it before. Uh, they've been under Tite for a lot of time now. I would have to just side with Brazil. Just. No. Look, I'm going to go with Argentina. Because if I want Peru, to, like, I'm going to be rooting for Peru to win whenever. But if I don't want... If we're gonna be, if we're gonna get beaten by Brazil, the next team that I want to win is Argentina. Even if we reach a final, Peru Argentina. Imagine it could be Peru Argentina. We never know. If it was Peru Argentina, like if Peru won, first of all, I would love it because then everyone would be like, 
oh my god, Argent Messi losing to farmers in Peru. <laughs> or something like that. Because you know how football Twitter is. Um, I would love that, but then I would also like it because then Messi actually gets to win. So it really wouldn't, it really, it really wouldn't pay me as much. But um, I'm going to go Argentina. I think Argentina can do it. I think that if there's a team... This Brazil side is not as good as the Brazil from last time. That's, that's something. They don't have... the. They're not as good. There's no Coutinho. There's no Artur. They're lacking some players. Uh, they don't look as solid as before. I think Argentina could could get at them here. Like, there's no Dani Alves. <laughs> there's no... There's no... Um, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's different. It's a different Brazil. And I think that if if, if, it, if it were came down to a final, I think Argentina could beat them. Okay, guys, that's where we're going to wrap this one up. Thank you again for listening. You know, remember to follow us over there on Twitter. Same again, as I said in the beginning. Uh, we're over on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and also a few more podcast platforms already. I and mean, there's going to be a few more in the future. And, of course, the YouTube channel and Instagram page is going to be launched uh, within the next month, we'd say, you know, within the next few weeks. So stay tuned. But for now, follow us on Twitter, uh, rate our podcast, and also let us know, you know, how, how, how you think it's going on Twitter. You know, it's an easy place to reach us. If you do want to leave any of your thoughts, do feel, you know, please feel free to do so. And we will be getting back to you. And of course, guys, get ready for more content. We hope you enjoyed today. Luis, what do you have to say? Yeah, yeah, I'm completely happy with that. And I just have to say thank you once again for tuning to The Engine Room. And I'm really excited for what's to come. Honestly, this is a project that is coming along very, very nicely. And I'm, and I'm happy to see all the feedback and you guys really liking what we're doing right now. And I find myself in a much better place, I think. And uh, now with Pablo kind of making the strides, becoming a, a man. <laughs> 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 like going to university and whatnot or whatever you're going to be doing. Like, yeah. uh, it's going to be interesting to have you along for the ride, you know. I'm also starting mm -hmm. new stages of my life and yeah. stuff like that. So... Pretty cool, pretty cool stuff coming along and we, we just simply love you guys um, that you're kind of, we're, you're, you're, you're supporting us in all, in all of what we're doing. So yeah, indeed, very, very nice. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> ciao, ciao guys, I guess. Goodbye.